So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now from verse 17 onwards. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. 
But I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with stripes of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. My prayer is for God and Ryan, <laughs> not for you. But let us pray. Let us go to the Lord. Lord, this is an astonishing story. You wept because death seemed to rule. But that's not the truth. Lord, touch Robin when he's sharing with us about this story. That you overcame death. That you are the one true God. That you are the Savior. That you are the Messiah. Bless Robin when he shares with us. And bless our hearts and ears and mind. So we will be able to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> I had considered apologizing for such a large chunk of scripture, um, which is actually less than I originally had. I actually cut, cut about in the middle, um, but I'm not going to do that uh, because for one thing, it's one story arc and you can't cut bits out of it. And for another, it's just good to have bit, large chunks of scripture read on Sunday mornings. So this Advent season, we're looking at how Jesus coming affects different people in the Gospels. Um, we've actually only got, we've only had one, we will only have one, um, actual Christmas uh, text in this series. That was the first week when we looked at Jesus coming as a baby to the temple and how that connected with the hope. There's a little bit of a ring there. How that connected with the hope that Simeon and Anna carried in their hearts. Then we looked at Jesus coming to the woman in the, at the well and how that was an expression of his inclusive love for the outsider. This week, we're looking at how Jesus coming to Lazarus' sisters in John 11 connects with joy. So this is the theme of Advent is coming. And normally we talk about his coming as a baby and we do all kinds of texts from, the, from that period. But just for, different, for a change this year, we're jumping around a bit. So, John 11. Um, I do need to give a little bit of context, though. Uh, one of the problems with topical messages is that you kind of end up parachuting into a passage in a book with little um, sense of what went on before. Um, it's a bit like coming into the middle of a TV series or a movie, uh, which may explain my urge at this point to begin my, my, my message with, previously in the Gospel of John. Um, so what's been happening so far is uh, things have been pretty hairy. Last time Jesus was in the Jerusalem area. In the previous chapter of John's Gospel, 
Um, he had been accused of being demon-possessed, uh, and his enemies had twice tried to seize him and stone him to death. However, he'd managed to elude them, and he got out of the country, crossed the Jordan, and had ended up in the neighboring region of Perea. At the end of chapter 10, it says, Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. So he had left the country until things cooled down a bit, and it was safe to return to Jerusalem. That meant he was no longer staying with his friends in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. Now, in John's Gospel, this is the first time we meet Lazarus and his sisters, um, Martha and Mary. But they appear much earlier in, in Luke's Gospel. It's quite probable that every time Jesus was in Jerusalem area, he stayed in Bethany with uh, Martha, Mary, and their brother, Lazarus. And I know that many of us here in this community travel more than the average. Um, at least that, and at least in our experience, um, we are often the recipients of other people's hospitality, right? Um, and likewise, we've had many people stay in our home, and I'm sure a number of you have had people stay in your homes as well. Hospitality is a New Testament value that goes back a long way before Airbnb, okay? So this is what we're seeing happen here. And actually, we had a wonderful lecture on Thursday evening from Jason about the, um, the uh, um, Philemon and uh, his role in hospitality in, uh, in the first century in Colossae. So the, re the relationship between Jesus and Lazarus' family was pretty important. They weren't just a passing acquaintances, they were friends. So when Martha and Mary send news to Jesus, that their friend is sick, there is a clear obligation on Jesus' part to respond. I mean, hadn't he been a recipient of their hospitality time and again? Didn't he owe them? But what did he do when he got the news? He said, this sickness will not end in death, nor it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified. But then he did nothing. John clearly feels the tension in this passage because he slips in a little editorial note here and he says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He's at pains to let us know that Jesus really did love Lazarus and his family, and yet he still delayed two more days before leaving. So what's going on here? Well, for one thing, Lazarus was already dead by the time the courier delivers his message to Jesus. How do we know that? Well, Bethany is about 35 or 40 kilometers away from the place where Jesus was teaching. That may sound like a long walk to us, but for people who, you know, walking was their major um, means of transportation, that's just a good day's walk. So let's say the, the, the messenger leaves Bethany uh, on Monday morning, he gets to Jesus late afternoon or early evening on Monday. Now, the absolute earliest they could leave to go back would be the following morning, Tuesday morning, because nobody travels by night. But Jesus stays two more days and doesn't set out until Thursday morning to arrive back in Bethany late afternoon or early evening on Thursday. At that time, he's told Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. So if he died on Monday, they would have had to bury him before evening. That's the law. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is four days. And that means that 
when the messenger arrived with his message for Jesus, Martha and Mary were already putting their brother in the tomb. Jesus knew this. And we know that Jesus knew this because he tells his disciples before he leaves for Bethany that Lazarus is already dead. As I've said, this Advent, we're looking at what it means for Jesus to come to us and what happens when Jesus comes into a situation. And the first thing we learn about Jesus coming from this story is that Jesus comes on his own timetable, not necessarily when we think he should. But that isn't because he doesn't care. John takes great pains to point out that Jesus loved this family in Bethany very much. But there are other factors involved in Jesus' coming. For one thing, there was work he had to do where he was. You see, Jesus isn't controlled by other people's agendas, even by his friends' agendas. Again and again, he talks about doing what his father sent him to do. But Jesus also has more information about our lives than we could possibly imagine. He already knew that Lazarus was dead and he could take time to finish what he was doing in Perea before he turned, went back to um, Bethany. Jesus comes on his own timetable. That sounds great as a theological statement, doesn't it? Jesus comes on his own timetable. It doesn't really help a broken heart, does it? Because verse 20 says, and you have to read this through tears. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they must have been talking about it before he arrived. Because when Mary comes out to meet Jesus later, she says the very same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. One of the realities of grief is that we look around for explanations. We try and make sense of the loss. We try and make sense of the pain. And often that takes the form of looking for someone to blame. Someone that I can point at and it's, if, you know, they're, they're, they're the reason why this is the way it is. Now, many of the commentaries say that Martha isn't rebuking Jesus here. But it sounds awful like a rebuke to me. Listen and see if you can hear a difference. If you had fixed the tap, the sink wouldn't have overflowed. If you had shut the gate, the dog wouldn't have gotten out. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Those all sound like rebukes to me. But I don't think they're actually rebuking Jesus for being late. They must have known that the messenger wouldn't have gone to Jesus before, wouldn't even go halfway to Jesus before Lazarus had died and they put him in the tomb. I think they're rebuking him for leaving in the first place. Where are your priorities, Jesus? Who are those people on the other side of the Jordan anyway? They're just crowds of people, strangers. We're your friends. When your family rejected you and said you were crazy, um, we took you in at no small risk to ourselves. And then when we need you, when our brother is sick and dying, you're not here. 
You're off somewhere else doing ministry. But then Martha catches herself and realizes who it is she's talking to. And she says, but I know that even now, God will, ask, will give you whatever you ask. So just a couple of seconds ago, she was telling Jesus off for not being there when she needed him. Now she's saying it's never too late with Jesus and holding out the hope that even now, Jesus, Jesus coming can make a difference. And that's the way faith works from, from most people much of the time. We're like, we're like Martha. We're often sad, upset, angry, angry at God, angry at others. And yet, even while we're still angry with God, we can turn to him and ask him to intervene. And Jesus does intervene. All hope was gone. Grief ruled. Jews believed that the soul of a dead person hung around for three days after death in the hope of returning to the body. This was the fourth day. So Lazarus was really dead. Then Jesus asked Mary, where have you laid him? And off they go to the tomb. Now, different cultures mourn in different ways. Uh, as an English-speaking Westerner, I'm heir to the British tradition of the stiff upper lip. Our funerals, like most of our ceremonies, tend to major on reserve, right? In other cultures, it's expected that you show emotion at a funeral. The more emotion, the better, right? It's a measure of how much you cared for the deceased. And so Jesus walks into the midst of a crowd of people weeping over Lazarus' death, and he joins them in their weeping. And this is where Christianity is so different from so many other faiths. In some faiths, the gods are just overblown human beings with all the same petty squabbles. In others, like Buddhism, there is no God, and the goal is not to feel anything, so you're untouched by the suffering around you. In the majority faith around us, God is usually seen as so far removed from our pains and concerns that he remains unmoved by anything that happens on earth. Sadly, there's a significant percentage of Christians who think about God in the same way. But the truth of the incarnation, the truth of Christmas, is that God comes to us in Jesus. That word incarnation pops up in a number of um, Christmas carols this time of year. It's a Latin word. It basically means Jesus is God with skin on. That carne in the middle of there, there is the same, as, same word as, as you know, chili con carne, which is chili with meat. Right? It's the same, same root word. It's, it's, it's Jesus is God taking on a human body. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. That's why he came. So we could use Jesus' own words, is see the Father by seeing Jesus. And when Jesus sees the pain and grief of Martha at the loss of, his bro of their brother, he cries too. Does God feel your pain? Yes, he does. In 1996, Marilyn and I were invited to be worship leaders for a staff retreat for another organization in Pakistan. We were working in Peshawar at the time. The speaker was a man by the name of Alex Brooks, and uh, he was speaking from the first chapters of Genesis. 
the first day he spoke about God's greatness. The second day he spoke about God's goodness. And the third day he spoke about God's grief, about how much it hurt God to see his creation twisted and how much it hurt him to see people hurting and dying. I was supposed to lead worship to close the session, but a friend had to stand in for me because I was bawling my eyes out. I'll try not to do it again. Because I, was, I, I wasn't just crying. I mean, deep, heaving sobs that went on for the best part of an hour. Um, see, as, as Alex spoke about Genesis and spoke about how God had wept over the fall and the brokenness of the world, God has shown, God has shown me that he had wept over the death of my father 18 years earlier. In all that time, I had never shed a tear. In fact, apart from one time when Jason almost died in 1989, um, I hadn't cried for over 25 years. You might find that difficult to believe the number of times I actually cry in the pulpit. But I hadn't cried for 25 years. Every time I cry in the pulpit is a mark of God's grace in my life. I hadn't cried since I was about 15. And so I wept. I wept for my father's death. I wept for the lost years when he was never there. I wept for all kinds of things that I still don't have words for. And I believe that God wept with me, just as Jesus wept with Martha and Mary. And the response of the people around him was, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. It doesn't matter what kind of pain you're in. It doesn't matter where that pain came from. From someone else, from your own actions, just from the brokenness of creation. God loves you and weeps for your pain and for your grief. And that in itself would be something we're celebrating at Christmas. That God is not distant and unfeeling, but close by and identifying with us in our pain. But there's more. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. <laughs> and I love the detail here. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I think uh, the, the King James Version says, he stinketh. Now, this is the same person who just said, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask, right? So, I mean, I mean she's bouncing back and forwards here, right? Her heart wanted Jesus to intervene and do something special, but her, Martha's a practical one, right? Her practical mind was having a hard time keeping up. So she points out the logistical problems in opening the tomb. It's going to be a bit smelly. Um, but he opened the tomb and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine how the sisters felt? They got their brother back. Can you imagine the joy in their hearts? When Jesus came, he changed Lazarus' story. He changed a story of grief into a story of joy. The grief of 
grief of death changed into the joy of life. A foretaste of all of our eternal destinies. All our stories have the same shape. They have different details, they all have the same shape. We're born, we live, we die. That's the shape of a story. Every one of us has that shape to our story, right? The beginning is usually associated with joy. Uh, in the middle is a whole bunch of emotions. And at the end, there's grief. In Canada, there's a news magazine called Maclean's. It's kind of like the Canadian time. Uh, for a number of years, like 12 years, every week on the back page, there was a column called, appropriately enough, The End. Um, and it carried the obituary of someone who had died recently in striking circumstances. Like the Iraqi woman who survived two wars, breast cancer, and suicide bombings in Baghdad, only to die when a disturbed Vietnamese refugee went on a shooting spree in a refugee center in New York. Or the fisherman who, hearing of another avid outdoorsman who had recently died at home in his bed, surrounded by family, said, it's seldom given to a man to choose how he leaves this world, but given the choice, I would want to die with a fly rod in my hand and a steel head on my line. That afternoon, it's a true story, that afternoon, 73-year-old was up to his knees in the Kispiox River, reeling in yet another feisty steelhead. He died moments later, the victim of a massive heart attack. All the stories, whether they're happy or sad, have the same shape. Birth, life, death. Jesus changed the shape of Lazarus' story. Death wasn't the end for him. The grief was followed by joy. But this is about more than just a happy ending for Lazarus and his sisters. I skipped a couple of things in the story. I skipped the part with Jesus talking to his disciples because I wanted to focus on what happened in Bethany. We're not going to look at that this morning. But I also skipped the rest of Jesus' conversation with Martha. And I want to finish with that. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, belief in the resurrection is core to biblical faith, right? We're not talking about res resuscitation, which is what Jesus will do in a couple of minutes with Lazarus. That's resuscitation. And we're not talking about some disembodied eternal existence in heaven, which is what most contemporary people, including lots of Christians, think of in these contexts. We're talking about God at the end of all things, restoring the earth to the way he intended, and placing real people in real bodies on it. That's what Martha confessed her faith in as a good Jew. But then the conversation goes further. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The ultimate confession of faith. That made her a Christian rather than a Jew. In all of the Gospels, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But in John's Gospel, those words are spoken twice. Once in the mouth of, Jesus, of Peter, and once here in the mouth of Martha. Martha doesn't get nearly enough credit for that. Martha, so Jesus takes Martha's confession of faith and the resurrection, and he makes it very personal. He focuses it on himself. He is the one who is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who will overcome death. Not just a temporary overcoming of death, as in Lazarus's case, but a permanent victory over death at the cross. 
anyone who believes in him, even though they will die at some point, will live on in the resurrection. The reason we can have joy at Christmas is not because a little baby was born. Although sometimes in so-called Christian countries, you get the impression, that, that impression with all the sentimental mush around Christmas. It's because of who that baby is. He is the Christ, the son of the living God, who has come into the world to overcome evil and death and to give eternal life. Lazarus would eventually die. Unless, of course, you're a sci-fi fan and you know you've read Canticle for Leibowitz, but we won't go there. Lazarus would um, eventually die along with Mary and Martha and everybody else in Bethany that day. And Mary and Martha's newfound joy in having their brother restored to them would turn to grief again. Everybody in Bethany that day would die, including Jesus. But Jesus would rise again as the firstborn from the dead proving that he had conquered death once and for all. And that's a real source of our joy at Christmas. Not the gifts or the time with family, although they can bring real joy, not the baby in the manger. Our joy at Christmas is rooted in the knowledge that this child came to remove the curse of death from all who believe in him. That's something worth rejoicing about. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your coming changes lives. Thank you, Lord, that your coming has changed our lives. Lord, thank you that, yeah, you don't always come and enter into a situation at the time and in the way that we want you to. We recognize that, that you are sovereign in those things. But Lord, we recognize that as you came into the world to die in our place, and as you come into each one of our lives, you change our lives. Lord, that the arc of our lives is not birth, life, death, but eventually birth, life, death, resurrection. And that we rejoice in that. And we thank you for that gift, Lord. And Lord, we pray for many in our congregation who are sick. Pray particularly for Alexi, who is um, still in hospital, recovering from a brain aneurysm. Lord, I pray you would continue to heal him, restore him to full health. Lord, we pray for Vic, who is um, struggling with flu symptoms, really not, not well. Lord, we pray for Sumbal, um, who's been sick this week and is on antibiotics. Um, it's that time of year, Lord, when there's a lot of stuff going around. So we pray for these people, that you restore them. Others who are sick in our midst, that you restore them, Lord. And we pray for protection from the, the bacteria and viruses kicking around, that we might be healthy to worship you. Lord, we continue praying for the war in Ukraine. Uh, 
as things get colder and Ukrainians have no access to heat, Lord, there's a real danger of people freezing to death. Pray for those seeking to ameliorate those problems. Lord, we pray for the, the nation of, we pray for both sides of this conflict, Lord, uh, for Russia as well, that you would make a way to see peace between these nations. Lord, we pray for um, the orphans that are here. And thank you for the way, Lord, that you are providing so many things for them through this community and the broader community as well. And Lord, I just want to thank you for Angie's coordination of that. Continue to bless her with the, um, the energy and the connections and the, just the, the grace to continue to serve these orphans, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we pray for the Christmas outreaches this coming few weeks. We pray for the, uh, the woman's brunch in a week and a bit, a couple of weeks. And Lord, we pray for, yeah, this week. Um, and Lord, we pray for the uh, AIK's outreach as well, that you would um, bless them and that people would hear the gospel story and come to know you. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together in whatever language you feel comfortable in. Our Father, who art